0: Welcome to Scotus Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to start with a brief recap of what has been happening at the Supreme Court in the past few days. The major development of the week is today's announcement that the Supreme Court will weigh in on whether federal employment discrimination laws protect LGBT employees. The justices had considered a trio of petitions for review at 11 consecutive conferences before finally granting them today. The cases will be argued next fall with a decision likely early next year. Another high-profile issue that could be before the justices next fall is abortion. A federal appeals court upheld a Louisiana law that requires abortion providers to have the right to admit patients at a nearby hospital. In February, the Supreme Court blocked the state from enforcing that law until the abortion providers could file their appeal. The providers filed that appeal on Wednesday. The justices are likely to rule on the provider's petition before the court's summer recess. Tomorrow, the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in one of the biggest cases of this term. It's a challenge to the decision by Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross to add a question about citizenship to the 2020 Census. We'll be back next week to break down that oral argument. Now we're going to turn to last week's oral argument in a trademark case with some colorful language. Joining me now is Mark Walsh. Mark is a frequent SCOTUS blog contributor and also writes for the ABA Journal and Education Week. Mark, welcome.
1: Thanks, Amy. I'm happy to be here.
0: We're going to take a look back at last week's oral argument in Janku versus Brunetti, in which the court is considering whether or not the federal government can refuse to register an immoral or scandalous trademark. So tell us a little bit about the trademark in this case and how this case got to the court. It's, a, it's an interesting trademark, to say the least.
1: So do, do you want me to say what the trademark is? Go ahead.
0: Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. So okay. might as well be you.
1: So I'm going to follow uh, the example of our friend Nina Totenberg, who uh, said uh, in her report, you know, the trademark in this uh, uh, case is a line of clothing uh, and we'll just give you the letters. It's F-U-C-T. And as Nina said, you can say it out loud and figure out why uh, there's a hubbub over it because um, this was a, a line started by Eric Brunetti, who's an artist in Southern California. Uh, in 1990, uh, helped start uh, what's called streetwear, uh, clothing that's uh, that skateboarders and surfers kind of enjoy and... Um, and he, it was really very popular uh, in the 90s. I can remember seeing it. I, I, my salad days, I used to go to music festivals, and uh, I didn't wear this uh, this line uh, uh, of clothing, but uh, I, I remember seeing it. And uh, I don't think it's quite as as popular today. I now, Mr. Brunetti has said, you know, he he does put new new products up on his website, which. Uh, is sort of the same letters plus .com, and uh, and his concern as to why, after many years, uh, I think only about eight or nine years ago, he began to seek federal registration uh, was that he saw a lot of knockoffs, and and there was something called the Madrid Agreement, which involved international protections for products and, and um, uh, so forth. So he, he was, uh, he's been seeking federal registration. Uh, for quite a few years now, so you know, so he sought protection from the uh, Patent and Trademark Office. Um, uh, was rejected under this disparagement clause, uh, and uh, further rejected by uh, the, there's some sort of a trademark appeals board. And um, one of his concerns was that uh, uh, the standards that that the PTO applies, uh, he he views as just viewpoint discrimination. Um, uh, the, the PTO looks to um, popular usage and, and look to the urban dictionary as they did in his case. And, and, and of course, they just view this as a profane word and, um, and, and they rejected it. They, they get many other uh, applications with terms like this, and we'll get into that a little later, I think. But um, um, so he, he challenged that in, under the First Amendment.
0: And he went to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, and he won.
1: That's right. Um, uh, the the court had uh, reconsidered his case after the uh, Supreme Court's decision in Metal versus Tam, uh, which involved the uh, uh, disparagement clause uh, of the Lanham Act, and um, the Supreme Court, in, in that case, it was eight to zero, uh, agreed at least. Uh, uh, on the point that the disparage, disparagement clause represented viewpoint discrimination and was facially invalid, the, the, uh, the aid member court didn't agree on a whole lot uh, else <laughs> with regard to that case, which, of course, involved the, uh, the rock band called The Slants who were trying to reclaim uh, that name from, from the point of view that it was disparaging Asian Americans.
0: So then the federal government went to the Supreme Court, and the federal government has a really good track record when a federal statute has been declared unconstitutional and asks the justices to weigh in. So the Supreme Court said it was going to take up the case, and so here we were last week. Um, The justices had also dealt with cases involving the F word before. There's a 1971 case called Cohen versus California. That's kind of interesting.
1: Yes. so... um A couple of points, uh, uh, you know, the the Supreme Court is a state institution. They don't necessarily want to be throwing these words around in oral argument. And just to give a little bit of history and context to uh, this case, in in the Cohen case, uh, that involved uh, a man who wore a jacket in a public courthouse that said, F the draft. And of course, you know what it really said. And um, he faced a criminal uh, sanction. And, and um, so his case came up before the Burger Court in 1970 or 71. Uh, the decision was 71. And um, Chief Justice Warren Burger made clear at the beginning by saying, you know, we, we know what the facts of this case are. You don't need to, to go into them. But um, Mr. Cohen's lawyer, a man by the name of Melville Nimmer, thought it was important to get that word out, and he was going to do that, and he, he did do that. And um, there, the, the Cohen case was was you know, mentioned a few times in, in the arguments last week in Brunetti, um, and there was a brief in the case from the Cato Institute that refers to a really fascinating law review article uh, by uh, a former law clerk to Justice John Marshall Harlan, who ended up writing the the decision in Cohen, which uh, held that, that this uh, Mr. Cohen's jacket was protected free speech. And um, Thomas Cratton maker is the law clerk, and uh, he, he just tells a few tales in this uh, Law Review article about how um, uh, Justice Harlan had, uh, you know, asked him to write the opinion, and he said, uh, you know, make it Elizabethan. And uh, the <laughs> okay, law, law clerk did not know really what that meant, and it's, uh, even you know many years later when he wrote this this uh, law review piece, said I don't know what that meant because did he mean like Shakespearean? But Shakespeare used a lot of body language in his uh, plays, and uh, and he thinks he kind of the justice kind of wanted him to keep it flowery and keep it nice, and um, that is mostly what it did. Uh, but but Justice Harlan did use the the phrase in the opinion. We don't know. And I tried to check on the uh, OEA website, uh, and there's no recording from the opinion announcement from that era. But but uh, this law clerk does relate that uh, Chief Justice Berger even asked uh, Justice Harlan not to use the phrase in the opinion announcement from the bench, uh, and I presume that probably didn't happen. And uh, so that's one uh, background case. And I'll just mention you know one other quickly that also came up last week: the uh, FCC versus Pacifica Foundation which involved the comedian George Carlin and his uh, filthy words uh, monologue, also known as the seven uh, dirty words you can't say on the airwaves or on television. And um, if you have never seen that, I'm sure it's available on on the Internet, uh, but it's also reprinted as an appendix in the Pacifica case. And in that case, the the court did uphold the uh, uh, the ability of the FCC to regulate over the public airwaves, uh, material like that. Um, uh, but uh, th- you know, that's just some of the backdrop for how those kinds of words are, are treated by the court, are treated in the, the courtroom, and uh, the court's gotten more uh, 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 just careful. Uh, I'm not sure "careful" is the right word, but but recently, you know, was dealing with some of these words in in uh, a case called uh, Fox uh, FCC versus Fox Television Stations and. Um, the uh, the F words are kind of just uh, use a lot of asterisks in, in 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 those decisions, and and they don't they don't spell them out. Uh, in 2012.
0: Yeah. So the lawyer for Eric Brunetti, John Sommer, actually promised in his brief even before the oral argument that he wouldn't need to use vulgar terms at the oral argument, um, and so one of the fun parts about the oral argument was listening to the various verbal gymnastics that the different justices and lawyers used to avoid using the F-word out loud. Um, We're going to catalog a couple of those before we dive into the merits of the oral argument. Here's U.S. Deputy Solicitor General Malcolm Stewart who argued for the government.
2: The equivalent of the profane past participle form of uh, a well-known word of profanity and perhaps the paradigmatic prof- uh, word of profanity in our language
0: and here's malcolm stewart again
2: the equivalent of the past participle form of the the paradigmatic profane word in, in our culture
0: here's justice samuel alito
2: and the, the word your client wants
1: to use is number one on the list
0: and here's chief justice john roberts
1: vulgar word at the heart of the case and Uh, Just, you know, uh, among reporters, uh, uh, after the argument, uh, Malcolm Stewart's uh, construction was was sort of won the prize for most creative. Uh.
0: Absolutely. So what were the government's main arguments last week at the oral argument?
1: So... The government argues that the scandalous Marx uh, provision of the Lanham Act is viewpoint neutral. It's it's not making uh, distinctions based on uh, viewpoint. Of course, uh, there is content that is regulating content, but but the government does not believe that it's, it's – it's, Doing so on on the viewpoint basis, but the government did uh, concede that after Matal, it would it would seek to narrow the the uh, enforcement of that provision going forward, uh, f- focusing on terms that are shocking or offensive based on the mode of expression uh, rather than the ideas that they convey, and that's a point uh, uh, Mr. Stewart made. Justice, Justice
0: Kagan was a little bit troubled by the idea that the Supreme Court should uphold a law because the federal government was interpreting it narrowly. Here's Justice Elena Kagan. Mr. Stewart, if if you agree with that, I mean, what are we supposed to be doing here? Are we supposed to be looking at the statutory words? Are we supposed to be looking at the fuller standards that the federal circuit gave to explain those words? Or are we supposed to be looking just at your commitments as to what you're doing going forward? I mean, if you take the statutory words, they're very broad. They do include things that are offensive because of the ideas they express. So why isn't that just the end of the matter? And if — if — Congress wants to pass a statute that's narrower, that's focused on vulgarity or profanity, then Congress can do that. Some of the justices, like Justice Alito, asked about exactly what Congress was trying to do when it passed the law. What is
2: the standard that you're looking to uh, at bottom, and this is framed by Justice Ginsburg's question, is uh, w- what is uh, Congress's interest? Is it, does it have an independent interest in not having the federal government associated with certain words? Or is it just an interest in following whatever uh the population thinks is offensive or scandalous or immoral at a particular point in time
0: justice brett kavanaugh voiced another concern that was on the justice's mind
2: how do you deal with the problem of erratic or inconsistent enforcement which seems inevitable with a test of the kind you're articulating
0: justice neil gorsuch picked up on this question too he was asking how regular people are supposed to know what the PTA will or won't regard as immoral or scandalous.
2: Justice Ginsburg's point takes us back to Justice Kavanaugh's, I think, which is you look at the the seven words at the end of the the red brief, and uh, there are shocking numbers of ones granted and ones refused that that do look remarkably similar. Uh, And how is
1: a reasonable citizen supposed to know? Uh, What notice do they have about how the government's going to treat their mark? And you uh, heard Justice Gorsuch there refer to uh, the seven words at the end of the red brief. That's the uh, uh, respondent's brief, and, and that seven words... uh
0: respondent is Eric
1: Brunetti. respondent is Eric Brunetti. The seven words refers to George Carlin's, um, but uh, just in case you're looking for that, it, it is available. It's, it's not uh, online as part of the red brief. You kind of have to go to the... Uh, the docket of of the case and look for something marked other, and it's the uh, probably the uh, dirtiest other thing that I've ever come across at the Supreme Court, <laughs> <Okay, Board. God. laughs> be, be, because I as I wrote about it in SCOTUS blog, it's really parental guidance suggested. It's 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 a list of all the things, not not all, but I mean a lot of examples of of things that the that the PTO has either approved for registration or or uh, not approved, and, and obviously it shows some inconsistencies. And, um, you know, you have to be sitting down when you look at that appendix. I'm to imagine
0: Justice Ginsburg reading that.
1: <laughs> well, I think Justice Ginsburg in this uh, case, in this argument, she, she uh, uh, Slate referred to her as, you know, one of the hip kids because uh, she suggested, you know, that 20-year-olds might be much more uh, willing to accept the the word at issue in this case, um, then the population as a whole seemed in tune with that. This
0: is a woman who has grandchildren, I guess. Justice Gorsuch also responded to Malcolm Stewart's argument that if it had the letters P-H-U-C, and again, you can figure out what that would sound like if you said them all together, the Patent and Trademark Office would look at the context to decide whether to register the trademark. Here's Justice Gorsuch.
2: I don't want to
1: go through the examples. I really don't want to do that. (laughs) But uh, I can come up with several that are granted, that, that have phonetics have along the lines you've described, and a couple that have been denied. And what's the rational line?
2: How is a person, a, a person who wants to uh, get a mark, supposed to tell
1: what the PTO is going to do? Is it a flip of the coin?
0: So what were Brunetti's main arguments last week?
1: So his uh, lawyer argues that um the scandalous cause uh should be fac- facially invalid and the government is 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 regulating uh, uh, offensiveness here and, and and really is uh making uh, determinations based on the the message and uh the viewpoint of the message and, and he argues there's there's no quote mode of expression unquote exception to to viewpoint discrimination doctrine and those are a few of his arguments
0: justice Justice Breyer, his wife is a psychologist, had an interesting response to the suggestion that there's no way to generalize what is or is not immoral. Here's Justice Stephen Breyer.
2: There are books and scientists' reports and so forth. I don't know how. I haven't seen them contested. But say, take six or seven words. And today, in the past, they might have been religious. But today, they do include the word at issue, and they do include racial slurs of certain words. And they have a different physiological effect on the brain. They're stored in a different place. They make a difference in the conductivity of your skin, which shows emotion. And above all, they are remembered. And therefore, take that set. Now, if it's in a context where it has that effect for most people, why isn't that a pretty clear distinction from what you're talking about? And why doesn't the government have a right to say, this is a commercial matter, purely commercial. It is a p- totally free to use any word
1: you want right next to this registered trademark. We just don't want to be associated with it. And Justice Breyer returned to this point several times during the argument. And he was concerned about, I think, whether uh, this would uphold words like that are at issue here as well as, Racial slurs, in particular, the the worst racial slur you could think of, as it was referred to several times. I mean, that would be the N word, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, even George Carlin, I think, endorses Justice Breyer's view in in his uh, "Filthy Words" monologue. Refers to the uh, psychological effect of some of the words uh, on that list, particularly the F word, and uh, um, so. Uh, I think Justice Breyer had some interesting arguments. And-
0: it wasn't clear that anybody else was necessarily buying in on the psychological effect, but you know, even if on the one hand the justices weren't crazy about having the government decide whether something is scandalous or immoral, on the other hand they also weren't thrilled about the possibility that if the law struck down, you know, anything could be trademarked and would have the government's approval in effect. Here's Chief Justice John Roberts.
2: You say that, um, you know, this product's not going to be in Walmart, right? Correct. But, but it is going to be on people walking down through the mall. And, uh, you know, for parents who are trying to teach their children not to use those kinds of words, they're going to look at that and say, well, look at that. And then, you know, they're going to see the little trademark thing
1: and say, well, it's registered trademark. Well, they won't say that. but. And, uh, we were wondering after that if, if he was referring to a shopping mall or the national mall, but since the reference to Walmart had been at the outset, I, you know, I, I kind of interpreted it as, as him walking through the the shopping mall, which I'm not sure I've ever seen, but, uh, you know, he, he, he was one of, uh, several justices who were just quite skeptical, seemed quite skeptical of, of, of Brunetti's arguments and, uh, not sure where this is going after this, even after the the decision in Mittal versus Tam.
0: Yeah, he he's had, has mentioned in, in speeches. This term that you know, this is a very First Amendment protective court, and that he is the, one of the the justices on the court who's most protective of the First Amendment. But you're right that it really wasn't wasn't at all clear where this was going. So totally aside from the the merits of the argument, there was a Classic Justice Breyer moment. Justice Breyer is known for his long hypotheticals and questions. And so he had this long monologue. It was Justice Breyer.
2: Your basic point, and this is where I'm having a harder time. I think we're in a period where swear words, and that's what they are, swear words, where their content is changing so that younger people feel that these racial slurs are just as bad, if not worse. So suppose that you can pick that out. Sometimes it will be used to convey a message, I grant you that, but this is business. And it's not only business, it is business that has a function of identifying, the manufacturer, and it is the kind of use that doesn't forbid anybody from using that word, except to get registration and he can put it right next to it. So it's very different than Carlin. It's very different. Now, I want your response to as much of this question as you can give me.
0: I really felt sorry for the lawyer in this one because I didn't hear a question in there and I don't think the lawyer did either.
1: I, I think that's right. But uh, uh, he, he just did the best he could, I suppose. He, he
0: did the best he could. Well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out by the end of June.
1: And and the question is, will the opinion be Elizabethan?
0: (laughs) Mark Walsh, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Amy. I was happy to, to do it.
0: That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Case Text, our sponsor, and thanks to our production team, Andrew Hamm, Edith Roberts, and John Levitan.